financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, the esoteric techniques the Virgin Mary may have used to conceive Jesus. What seems to be happening is that the women who are engaged in divine conception are communicating with what the Native Americans, for example, call the star nations or the star beings. These are interdimensional intelligences that we tend to associate with different star groups, like the Pleiades. Check out the huge selection of Strange Planet merchandise in my online shop. Go to strangeplanet.ca and click on Shop in the menu or find the link in the episode notes for this podcast. At my Strange Planet shop, you'll find unique men's, women's, unisex t-shirts and athletic shirts, leggings, tote bags, mugs, neck gaiters, and stickers and more all emblazoned with amazing artwork designed exclusively for my Strange Planet shop by artist-illustrator Rick Forgus. If you're a fan of Strange Planet, why not show it off? Go to strangeplanet.ca and click on Shop, or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the link. It's a strange planet. Dress for it. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath. 
surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. Delving into one of the Virgin Mary's forgotten Gospels, the infancy Gospel of James, Marguerite Mary Rigolioso reveals a truth that's been suppressed for nearly two millennia, that Mother Mary was not a passive bystander to her own pregnancy, but an advanced member of a sacred order of women trained in divine conception. Marguerite is considered the foremost authority on the history of virgin birth, and has taught graduate and undergraduate courses in both the United States and the United Kingdom. She's the founding director of Seven Sisters Mystery School and the author of The Cult of Divine Birth in Ancient Greece and Virgin Mother Goddesses of Antiquity and her latest, The Mystery Tradition of Miraculous Conception. Marguerite, welcome. How are you? Very well. Thank you, Richard. Nice to be here. I'd like to start off uh, by asking you about the infancy gospel of James. What do we know about it? Where did it come from? Well, um, it is one of the apocryphal gospels, meaning something that the Roman Catholic Church rejected as legitimate, but it has been hanging around and banging around uh, in ancient libraries, medieval libraries, and so forth. It probably goes back, it could go back to as early as the first century of the Common Era after Jesus. So, um, it has been known about, the Eastern Orthodox tradition has known about it and has even included it in some of its liturgies. But here in the Western um, Christian tradition, it's just considered an interesting story. Nevertheless, it is the basis of the feast days devoted to Mother Mary, about her presentation to the temple and her birth and those sorts of things that you do not find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So what else does it tell us outside of the Gospels uh, about Mary that we wouldn't know? It basically tells us everything about Mary. It tells us how she was divinely conceived by her mother, Anne, how she was raised by her mother as an infant and a toddler, as a sacred priestess in training in her mother's room and womb, how Mary was trained in the Hebrew temple up until the age of either 12, 13, 14, or 15, um, when she uh, was at that point let out of the temple because she was starting to menstruate. She was paired together with Joseph, and then it tells her it tells us exactly how she conceived Jesus. So what you're saying so far is pretty much in line with uh, Christian religion. So when when does it deviate? Where is the, uh, the, the departure point here? Well, how it deviates is, first of all, we never hear of Anne, her mother, at all in traditional, uh, in the Bible, in the New Testament. So, it, so right there, it's telling us that um, Mary was conceived in a special way by her mother. We never hear that in, in traditional Christianity. Um, we really never hear any of these details that I've elaborated to you. And we never hear that, um, uh, for example, um, Elizabeth was Mary's aunt, 
not her um, cousin. Not her cousin. Right. Okay. So, you know, it, basically it provides all the details that you don't hear in the New Testament. All you hear in the New Testament is that she was a passive vehicle to this pregnancy. Nobody knows how it happened. And all of a sudden Jesus was born and she makes an appearance maybe at the wedding of Cana where she asks Jesus to uh, turn the water into wine. But we don't really hear very much about her at all. And uh, so Elizabeth uh, was the uh, the mother of John the Baptist. That's right. Uh, was was John the Baptist also then uh, conceived as a as a in miraculous conception as a virgin birth? Yes, and that we do hear in the New Testament. But what this infancy gospel of James tells us is that actually Elizabeth was part of the same group ritual that Mary was involved in with the other virgins of the temple to conceive divine children. And the two of them were the successful procreators in this ritual. It is metaphorically described to us in this gospel as the fact that they were weaving a temple veil. But because of my background and my research into divine birth in ancient Greece and the entire Mediterranean world, I was able to decipher that and decode that and understand that this was no mere weaving um, program that that these eight women were involved in. They were involved in a divine conception ritual. And yes, Elizabeth conceived John the Baptist and Mary conceived Jesus. Um, my understanding is uh, that uh, Elizabeth conceived uh, John. It was somewhat miraculous because of her advanced age, and I believe uh, we were. She was told that she was barren. Uh, also, of course, uh, Sarah, the uh, the wife of the patriarch Abraham, also was a, a very advanced age, and so that these were these were miraculous births because of their advanced age. But you're going, you're saying the research points one step further that in fact these were. Uh, miraculous conceptions, they were virgin births. That's right. Deliberately cultivated by these women who had been trained and practiced in these arts their whole life. And I would add to that, Anne, Mary's mother, was considered of advanced age and by, you know, contemporary standards would be postmenopausal or what have you. But this is an entire what I call lineage of divine birth. Women who understood these pra- these practices, passed them down to the next women in, in line, and this was all part of something that they knew and willed, and the purpose was to bring in special high holy beings to the planet to assist humanity. All right, so we made, when we're talking about a, a miraculous conception or parthenogenesis, you make a distinction between what we understand in the Christian and in, uh, Christian faith as as a miraculous conception, parthenogenesis, and a biological f- parthenogenesis. So explain the uh, the difference. Biological parthenogenesis is something that can happen in certain animals, um, either naturally or particularly under captivity, or through uh, experimentation with chemicals or electrical shock. Spiritual parthenogenesis is something that is a high-level advanced shamanic technology that very high holy women 
are capable of understanding and accomplishing within their own bodies using the light, matter, and biological interface in a much different way than would happen through ordinary conception. All right. So, uh, what does this say about Jesus? Does that does that take the divinity uh, away from Jesus? Does that mean that he is not who he said he was, the Son of God? No, not at all. In fact, it validates exactly what Christianity has been telling us, but it gives us a rationale and an understanding that thinking people can at last grasp that oh, this was a shamanic technology. Oh, but the purpose of it was specifically to bring in what we're calling an avatar. In other words, a representation of the divinity on earth. So it verifies Jesus's divinity. It just shows us the method by which this is possible and the fact that these women are the actors and in fact the orchestrators of the entire advent of of being such as Jesus to the planet, something that gets very much overlooked in the New Testament and traditional Christianity. So this is for, for materialists, obviously, who have a great deal of difficulty with the idea of a miraculous conception, and even many devout who struggle with the idea, oh, come on, you know, a virgin birth, uh, this will give them, I guess, uh, some scientific basis that this is possible. Yes, and if not scientific, it certainly gives them an alternative spiritual, biological perspective on how this could have been happening. So this uh, this school, this shamanic uh, school of womb mysteries, th- does it have a name? Do we know where it was located and uh, any more about the, I guess, the practitioners, uh, the uh, the teachers? I wouldn't say that it has a name. It was widespread throughout the entire world. You can find these stories on every continent. So we know that women have been practicing this from time immemorial, and you see evidences of it uh, going on into historical times where uh, Plato's mother, Perictione, is said to have given birth to him in this way. Pythagoras's mother, the same thing. Alexander the Great's mother, Olympias, the same thing. So it doesn't, it's not one big unified cult. It's pockets of practices all around the world where women understood these processes, perhaps because they were accessing the same knowledge streams uh, of, of how to do it. And they were, as I said, in lineages, mother-daughter, or, or it would be passed on from grandmother to granddaughter, or across, you know, to aunts. Families were practicing this, and then they were training women in temples. I would say that there is a very much evidence that, for example, the Delphic Oracle, the temple at Delphi, uh, included women who were practicing parthenogenesis. Why do I say this? Because all of the place names of the towns and the streams and the rivers were all given to women who gave birth divinely or their children, if you go back into the mythology. So this is really widespread and even into Native American times. For example, the peacemaker who was born in the Haudenosaunee or Iroquois Confederacy, uh, 
he was the miraculous being who, because he was born of, of in virgin fashion by his mother, had special powers. That's the point of these conceptions, to bring in a child, an avatar, who has special powers to help humanity. Because he had miracle abilities, he was able to, to convince those five warring nations to come to peace, and eventually the sixth nation joined in that confederacy. You say to understand how divine birth uh, works, uh, you have to understand a, um, a Sanskrit word called siddhi, or a concept known as siddhi. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. What is siddhi? Yes, a siddhi, S-I-D-D-H-I, is a miraculous ability, or an ability that seems miraculous. It is something that a very high-level spiritual adept can cultivate an ability that seems counter-biological. And there are various stories of saints being able to cut off their hands and reattach them, pull out their entrails and put them back in, um, get to death states and come back to life, walk through walls, not cast shadows, walk on water, etc. These are cataloged, and there are even stories of, of these things happening in recent uh, centuries, if not recent decades. Swami Sri Kaleshwar in India was able to um, have students reattach heads of birds and things like that. So what I posit is that the ability to conceive it, what we are called in a method that we are calling miraculous really was the ultimate siddhi that anyone could accomplish and it happened to fall to women because they are the ones who have the wombs by which this could be accomplished. So in, in this case, we are not talking about um, commingling with some non-human entity or sex with spirits, as, uh, as you point out in the book. We are talking about, what, uh, certain uh, ingestion, of, ingestion of certain plants and herbs, meditative practicing practices and the like? Right. So what I, what I discern in my research is that there are phases and stages of this practice. And the original would have been what we're calling parthenogenesis, where the woman is at such a high level of engagement with her body and the light matter interface that she is able to become one, essentially, with the, the, the divine force itself become androgynous and conceive okay we have these stories it may be that some of these women as part of their training were using sacred medicines to open up their consciousness or it may be that they were so advanced that they didn't need the medicines but at later phases you have women practicing what we will call sexual encounters with disembodied spirits this is a later development and so it necessitates the understanding that a human physical being can in fact cavort with a non-physical energy or entity and become pregnant from it. Then we have a later phase where the practice has degenerated so much, the women have lost a lot of the knowledge, this is as patriarchy is advancing, that they then must use a human male surrogate in these rituals who is thought to make room for the God within his body. 
and then, though, physically have an intercourse with the woman and impregnate her. This is how it is said that the pharaohs were conceived in ancient Egypt. More of my conversation with Marguerite Mary Rigalioso when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files. And what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. C60 Evo delivers the miracle molecule, ESS60. It's pure carbon 60. Why not love your body and share C60 Evo with those you love? ESS60 from C60 Evo is a mega antioxidant for increased strength, endurance, flexibility, and a deeper sleep. It's great for pets too. I take a tablespoon every day and so does the mighty Aphrodite. We're both sleeping better than we have in years. And during the day, we have such tremendous energy and vitality. We're both pain-free. In a landmark peer-reviewed animal study in Paris, France, rats fed ESS60 lived twice their normal lifespan. Go to c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen or click on the C60 Evo link in the episode notes. Use the code EVRS at checkout and save 10%. ESS60 from C60 Evo. Order your miracle in a bottle today. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No. Me either. But I guess you better say it because Richard, you know, he's all wrapped up in this stuff. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Why does the priestess have to be virgin? Because she needs to not have any, any other energy or physicality enter into her body. 
she needs to remain energetically of a particular vibration and when a male energy comes into her body it shifts that off and she is therefore not able to align with the divine forces of the universe in the way she needs to to bring a high holy being into the planet it's just a kind of um, hygiene that needs to happen in order for this conception to be made possible and then also it eliminates any kind of interactivity with a man coming in and bringing in his bloodline, his karma, his um, ego or problems, anything of that nature. It allows the woman just to be, just stick straight and be able to accomplish this in a pure way. And do we know anything more about the plant medicines that were used? Well, not necessarily, but what we can do is cross-reference with information about plant medicine in the ancient world. And when we start doing this, and I've written about this in my, my first book, The Cult of Divine Birth in Ancient Greece, um, we start seeing things like cannabis and mushrooms and hellbore and henbane and wines that were made through multiple substances being woven together and, and, and uh, stirred together, that sort of thing. So we can surmise that it, it could have been one of many of these types of things. And at Delphi, the waters themselves from the Kasoti Spring were said to have hallucinogenic properties. So there were chemicals in there as well. So you find it in many different places, plant and nature-based. You say there's also a connection uh, with these priestesses uh, with the stars. Yes. Oftentimes, um, what seems to be happening is that the women who are engaged in divine conception are communicating with what the Native Americans, for example, call the star nations or the star beings. These are interdimensional intelligences that we tend to associate with different star groups, like the Pleiades, like Andromeda, like the Orion constellation, you know, these, these sorts of places. Where we see really a really strong connection with the stars and virgin birth priestesses is in, for example, the ancient site, the oracle place of Dodona in ancient Greece, one of the earliest oracles where the women gave prophecy, they were the site, one of the psychic places of the ancient world. Those women were called Peleades, which, is, which means doves, and it also means Pleiades. So it was a direct reference to the Pleiades stars, indicating that they were in some kind of communication, not only for the oracle information they were giving through, but for the children that they were conceiving. Fascinating, fascinating. Uh, so the dove you mentioned is connected with Pallades. And, yes. and do, we see, uh, do we see this dove, uh, an inscription or some sort of, I don't know, an artifact representing a dove uh, yes. as examples, you know, connected to the likes of Sarah and Anne and Elizabeth and Mary? Where we see it connected to Mary is, for example, in this infancy gospel of James, where it says that she eats like a 
the dove in the temple. And that is a clear reference connecting her with these oracular women and these divine birth women throughout the ancient Mediterranean world. Okay, And also we see the symbol of the dove in an episode where they are trying to figure out how to pair Mary up with the man who will be her guardian. And so they go through this elaborate ritual where the men, the widows of the town, the widowers of the town have to come and they hold their staffs. And Joseph's staff has emerged from it a dove. And that is the sign that he is the one to take Mary. So you see these these dove images uh, appear all over the place. And they hark back to these other oracular priestesses and situations. And so these are parts of the codes that I decipher in this book, The Mystery Tradition of Miraculous Conception, to show people around and indicate to people what is actually going on. How important is lineage in determining this ability? So uh, Anne, Mary's mother, had this ability. Did she pass it on somehow through her DNA to Mary, or was it just because she was her daughter, she shared her knowledge? Well, she passed it on first in the fact that Mary, that Mary herself was divinely born, which means she was already an avatar, okay? So she was a high-level being. Secondly, Anne had her trained in her sanctuary, her bedroom sanctuary, from the time Mary was born until she was three years old, Anne would regularly have the virgins from the temple come in and do specific things with her. I discern that what they're doing is they're teaching her the ways. They're teaching her um, at the level that she can handle the beginnings of the understandings of this divine birth practice. Perhaps they're doing prayers and mantras with her. Perhaps they are purifying her energetically through some kind of hands-on means or things like that. And then um, the other way that, that Anne passes this ability on to Mary is by giving Mary over to the temple to then be raised further by these virgins. They are going to complete this training for her. So there are many points along the way and methods by which Anne is imparting this ability and these teachings to Mary. I, I certainly believe a woman's re reproductive power is, you know, divine and, and sacred. Uh, but beyond what you've just said about Mary and others, is there was there anything else special about her that, so for example, other other women also could not, or could they harness this this uh, div divine birth uh, power? Well, what we are coming to, Richard, in this day and age is the fact that, yes, women can harness this power. And what this is going to take is a lot of unveiling of the disinformation, the misinformation, the hiding of this information, and also the resurrection of the teachings. So, for example, one body of teachings that has come back to us in recent decades is the entire Holy Womb Chakra system that was written down on ancient manuscripts of India and then saved for thousands of years. And then this saint, Sri Kaleshwar, located the relevant texts, put them all together in a series of teachings, which he then taught to others and which I have been 
taught. And these are a series of mantra practices with philosophical understandings, other types of meditative practices, and the use of sacred symbols in order to purify the womb and get its powers back online, so to speak, so that we can begin the divine conception processes. By the way, not just through Mary's means, but also when a man and a woman come together to be able to have a more conscious conception, bringing forth what Kaleshwar called divine children. So this this uh, information that I'm uncovering and describing is not Mary's alone, and it's not just historical. It's pointing toward our future. Right. I'm glad you mentioned that uh, that this method can also be used when a man and a woman uh, you know participate in in the conception because I, I was I was worried there for a moment you were suggesting that that uh, this knowledge would lead women to conclude that they no longer need men no and that's a big part of my message that that is absolutely not the case first of all parthenogenesis or divine birth or divine uh, Congress with a spirit, is a high holy practice that really only a few women are ever only are only ever going to get to. All right, um, they have to be ordained to do it. They have to be be karmically in, in alignment to do it. But there are other methods by which a man and a woman coming together in a normal kind of union can use these pra- various other types of practices to bring in a higher level being. Onto the planet. So, getting back to the infancy gospel of James, how uh, are we able to, I guess, uh, verify that it is in fact credible? I think that a lot of the the description that I am giving to it, the analysis that I am giving to it in this book, will help along those lines, and. It's very interesting because there's another scholar named Ali Katuz who has similarly looked at this gospel. And although she by no means has come to the conclusions that I have, she has she and other scholars have discerned that this is a very important, probably original and legitimate gospel that formed the basis of early liturgies and early artwork before it was suppressed by the Council of Nicaea. So, you know, there are other scholars here and there who are saying, this is a legitimate, important document, and what I'm doing gives another level of appreciation for it by showing how the writer was definitely tapped into what was going on in the ancient world, especially as regards women's mysteries, that, again, give it another level of credence. So, uh, why was it suppressed, do you suppose? I believe the the church itself said that it was full of absurdities. But I believe that, like with most things related to women and women's powers, it was too threatening. And therefore, things like that get hidden, um, squirreled away, uh, put underneath the sands of time in Egypt, dismissed, denigrated, and what have you. It's just too threatening to the patriarchal authorities. Hmm. 
And yet, I mean, they, they leave one of the most important elements in the gospel story, you know, the resurrection, uh, to the testimony of women, which is interesting. That's right, because here's the thing, Richard, they can never quite get away from the fact that women are intricately woven into this story. So what they do is they give it just enough credence and information, but not too much, and they do all they can to turn people's gaze the other way about women's power. So what does this book mean for the future of Christianity and, and even Judaism? Well, very interestingly, it could bring a revival to both of these religions, depending on how people want to embrace it and look at it. Because a scholarly work that is saying virgin birth is real and this is how it, it was done can really bolster and support what the church has been saying all along. So um, ditto in Judaism this story about Sarah being barren and just praying hard enough to have a, a child at in her elder years, if we flip that around and say this was a high holy woman who was practicing divine birth her, her whole life unsuccessfully until finally she did hit the nail on the head, that can also revivify interest in Judaism, especially for women, because they can look at the deeper levels and layers and mystical aspects of this religion. So it can either revive or it can uh, ruffle a few feathers, let's say. The Mystery Tradition of Miraculous Conception. Marguerite, how do we get a copy? You can buy it wherever books are sold, either online, um, on the Inner Traditions website, the publisher, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Indie.org, or you can ask your local bookstore to order it, and you can pick it up. It's also available in Audible, audio version, or ebook, as well as print. Uh, fantastic uh, discussion. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate being here. Marguerite Mary Rigoglioso, The Mystery Tradition of Miraculous Conception. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a flash with a few words about an upcoming episode. You can become an official Patreon supporter of my work here at Strange Planet Productions by donating a monthly amount through patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. There are several tiers to choose from. Pick which one is right for you, but any monthly amount is greatly appreciated. As a sign of my appreciation, you can have your name mentioned on air during my weekly radio show, or you could have your name included in a crawl on my YouTube channel live stream. You could also receive episodes of my old podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. This critically acclaimed podcast, produced in partnership with Chris Jericho, is not currently available anywhere else. If you enjoy this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, you can really get behind me and my work by donating once a month at patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Coming up next time, part one of a special two-part series on targeted individuals with Dr. John Hall. John Rappaport, and Michael Fitzhugh Bell. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. 
So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>